Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I have a bone to pick. And to everybody who said I deserved the Saturday school for punching that girl on Twitter, she voted for Trump, so you are wrong. I feel bad about picking that choice now. You betrayed me. It's not gonna be the last time that that happens. That girl <laughs> once told me that people who can't afford health care deserve to die. That is a hot take. It's also just fucking nonsense. <laughs> yeah. As most hot takes are, yeah. frankly. Speaking of Trump, and we're not going to be too political this episode. Like, we'll cap it at this. But uh, it was just announced by Nancy Pelosi that we are seeking impeachment of our annoying orange president. Just in case you were living under a rock. In case you are living under a rock. But it's pretty much all we've been talking about all day. It is... Something that we want to talk about just briefly because if all things go well, and we hope they do, and his ass gets kicked out of office, mm-hmm. this will be a monumentous day. It truly will. And um, for all of you people who are planning to stick around when we get to season six, uh, that's going to be a huge topic of discussion. It will. Um, the parallels that you see in that season. So stick around in, what, the next year or two it'll take to get to season six. Okay, um, so now that we've just discussed this monumentous political activity, we're just going to now switch to only talk about a television show <laughs> that was basically off the air before any of this really happened. Um, and you are listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, a podcast where two friends rewolf Teen Wolf. Uh, yeah, I'm Julia. And I'm Christian. We've never done it that way before. Where you say you're Julia first? Yeah. I feel like not even just in like a, I want to say my name first way, but like in the alphabetical order of things. That's true. Um, but yeah, you know, going on, uh, this is season one, episode four, Magic Bullet. It was directed by Toby Wilkins. For those of you who uh, saw The Grudge 3, which I never have, but that's his handiwork as well. Um, and it was written by Daniel Sinclair, Chicago Med. Rain, um, also developed by Jeff Davis, so he has a hand in all of this, um, as always. Uh, so, Christian, what's our, what's our theme this week? Um, our theme this week is denial. Um, Cleopatra, queen of denial. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get too deep into our theme, I think we need to do our quick recap of the episode. Julia oh, has... Oh, wow, I really botched that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was, like, a little, like, hey, you know how this goes. I do, but I'm an idiot. No comment. So Julia has graciously, graciously volunteered to go first on our timed recap of the episode. And uh, you guys can see how well she does when she's not copying my homework. Yeah, I took my own notes this time. It's very exciting. All right. Let's see how it goes. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. A minute on the clock. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Okay, so the Alpha attacks a pretty blonde lady who magically happens to have a shotgun in her car. She shoots Derek with a special Wolfsbane bullet. Find out that that is Kate Argent, Chris Argent's sister. Um, She and Allison reunite in the morning, and it's very exciting because Allison clearly loves her. Scott and Styles are in class talking about the conversation that Scott had with Derek, um, and Scott is really just kind of evasive, doesn't want to answer the question. Um, Derek shows up at high school because he is in rough shape, runs into Jackson, who assumes that he... uh, is Scott's dealer, uh, claws his neck, um, 
And then Allison and Scott go studying. Allison shows Scott that she's super into archery. Um, Scott gets roped into like a very awkward family dinner and then magically arrives at the vet's office fast enough to save Derek from having his arm cut off by Styles, uh, which would have been a horrific experience for all of us. But uh, everyone is fine and living. Oh, and Peter. Yep. You you got Peter right right <laughs> as the radar. Yep. Okay. Delightful. Perhaps you can fill in some of the gaps. Um. Let's oh, hope. Yeah. Oh wait, I have my phone now. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Let me get to my little timer thingy here. And you, you have one minute on the clock, starting now. Okay. So. Kate Argent comes into town and shoots Derek with a Wolfsbane bullet and the alpha is there and he like calls Scott out of bed. So Scott overhears her saying that he only has 48 hours to live, he being Derek. Then Scott goes to school and Styles is asking all these questions about Derek and he's like getting really like anxious and nervous about it. And then Derek shows up at school like covered in blood and like dying and tries to get Jackson to tell him where Scott is and he gets yelled at by Jackson and then he claws Jackson in the back of the neck and then Scott goes over to Allison's for a study date and meanwhile Styles is trying to take care of Derek kind of not really trying to take care of him but is holding on to Derek's like lifeless form for a while <laughs> and then eventually Scott figures out that he needs to bring the bullet that he was shot with to Derek so to save Derek's life so he gets the bullet from Kate's bag takes it to the vet clinic where Styles and Derek have ended up they save Derek and then Scott's like, you're not my dad. And then <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be a werewolf. And the origins are nicer to me. And then D- Derek takes Scott to a facility where he shows Peter Hale's burned face. And that's it. Time. Thanks. I think I did okay. I think you did too. No, we took a brief pause because I had this horrible coughing fit. So if the editing seems weird here, that's why. But I think I recovered well. You definitely did. Thanks. Nice. So as Julia previously mentioned... We watched this episode through the theme of denial, which is spattered throughout the episode and kind of all of the different characters in different weird ways, some more innocent than others. Um, so what do you think about that, Julia? Um, uh, I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind is uh, Scott's denial of his werewolfness and his denial of how much he needs Derek to kind of show him the werewolf ropes, which is a real departure from the end of the last episode where Scott finally realizes that, like, he's in danger because there's another werewolf out there. And so I think that there might have, there must have been something that happened kind of in the interim between talking to Derek and then having that other interaction where Scott's just like, I don't need this in my life. <laughs> like, I don't need you and I just need Styles and I just want to spend time with Allison. Like he just wants to be rid of it all. It's interesting that you say it's a departure from the last episode, because I think if we're reading this within our theme, it actually kind of makes a little bit of sense where Scott would find out all of this, you know, kind of traumatic stuff that brought Derek back to Beacon Hills and then kind of be like shy away from knowing that because he doesn't want that to be his responsibility because it drastically changes the way he has to look at the world and also now puts a significant level of like responsibility on him that he would have never previously had. Yeah, I mean, he does whine about it in the last episode, but I don't know. I think we kind of get more of a sense of the danger that Scott's in. And I don't know, maybe I would have... I don't know what I would do in Scott's situation, but he definitely is very much like, 
oh, everything will be fine with Allison, like the Argents are fine and normal, which they're not. Um, and so he, his denial is really just trying to protect him. Read the Argents being quote-unquote normal. Even if they weren't werewolf hunters, if I walked into somebody's garage and saw their artillery... Yeah. Regardless of what her dad's profession is, I'd be like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna head out. Yeah, I just feel like arms dealer under any context is just not something that you want to be involved in. Also, to law enforcement? Mm. Narcs. Narcs. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also had a logistical question about that. Like, is that legal? Can you do that? Can you sell firearms to law enforcement? I don't actually know the answer to that question. Well, I'm really happy you looked it up. Yeah. I actually had a question about concealed carry laws because um, Kate's trunk, when she opens up the trunk of her car, is a full-blown, like, it's like a Walmart in there. Also, Scott says the Walmart of guns, and Walmart is the Walmart of guns, so whatever. Yeah, and also like, just that joke does not sit well No, rewatched it. So obviously we are watching this through a post- a lot of mass shootings. Um, but this is also post a couple others. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like the way we talk, like gun awareness now is, is talked about completely differently. And something that really kind of creeps me out was when Allison is showing him the bow and arrow and then he sees the like cage of guns in their garage and she goes, what, I look hot with a gun? Yeah. Oh, that was so awkward and So weird. uncomfortable. Like, I don't know how I would have read that, you know? I think for a really long time, like, especially in, like, American media, like, the idea of, like, a girl with a gun was, like, kind of sexy because she was probably, like, a spy or, like, a lady cop or something. Yeah. And now, obviously, like, I get repulsed thinking about, like, citizens with firearms. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Gun girl's really making it work for her. Oh, that, uh... The I know her name, but I don't want to say it because I don't want people to know I know her name. Dude, I oh, you were talking about the Twitter girl though. Yeah, yeah. Long, long. Did you ever see the bar stool story? Which is like, I do not participate in like the consumption of bar stool media, but bar stool did a story about her where I guess she shit her pants at a party. That's incredible. I know. I was like, why is a bar stool like putting in the good fight? That makes me feel slightly more charitable towards the dude who was clearly wearing a bar stool t-shirt on the L the other day. Ugh, like, that's Ugh. embarrassing. <laughs> it really is. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we we think about guns so differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're used a lot. Yeah. on the show they are i mean that's that's kind of typical with like any show where like mm-hmm. people die if it's set in america yes um but my question is the concealed carry laws in california if kate got pulled over i don't think they expand to that much firepower um i think it depends on what kind of license you have I also guess. the other day like my mom was freaking out because she saw a dude like at our local park with uh, a gun and very few states prohibit open carry. Most of them are like, yeah, you can carry a gun, whatever. Um, the laws are real, real loose. And I think also, like, if Kate's part of the family that, like, sells arms to law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, she probably has a permit. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. No, yeah. no, I get it. But, like, again, we just think about these things differently. But, again, if I were Scott, I'd be like... Bye. Bye. This is nuts. Again, another reason why it's 
Scott's denial is something that is really strange in this episode because mm-hmm. he at one point picks the Argents. Yeah, and he sees them talking, like right after having shot Derek. He sees Kate walking around with a sawed off shotgun, you know? Like it's just, it's bananas. It is wild. It is also really strange to me that Scott can sit through a dinner where he's basically verbally abused mm. by Chris Argent for. I, I don't know, let's say an hour and then can still look at Derek and be like, I choose them. But that is, you know, a, a symptom of a deep denial of who he now is as a person because he doesn't want to see himself as a person that they would kill given the opportunity. Yeah. You guys can't see that I'm nodding finger, but I am because it's, it's real. And also, like, I, I completely lost my train of thought. I had something very intelligent to say about that. And now it's just like, it's just gone. Did you? Did you have something intelligent to say? Well, my mom's always like, if you forgot it, it must not have been that important, which is unfair to me. Um, I forget everything I'm about to say. Literally everything. Um, oh, my God. It'll come back to me. Well, okay, well, while you're thinking about that, I want to talk a little bit about Allison and oh, what she... Oh, that's what I was going to oh, say. Oh! Sorry. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, but Because part of the, the other person who's, like, seriously in denial is in, in this episode is Allison, who catches her dad and her aunt-slash-sister-cousin, like, in a lie. Um, and I kind of have a really hard time imagining that that's the first time that that's happened. Yeah, she describes Kate as her sister, and you know you catch your sister in lies. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like it it must be really hard to parent and also be a werewolf hunter. Like, I find it strange. And maybe, you know, we don't get any flashbacks of Allison prior to her moving to Beacon Hills, so we don't really, we don't know. But I have a really hard time thinking that, like, she's never caught her dad in a lie before. Um... And also, she's 16. Like, I feel like that's old enough to start learning the family business. And they keep it from her for a long time. Yeah. Well, I also feel like there are, like, when you're 16, that's when you especially... She's also 17, though. Or she's turning 17 in, like, the next episode. Yeah, there's a birthday in yeah. there. Um... When you're that age, that is when you start calling your parents bluff. Like, especially when you're the 16, 17 zone where you're like, mom, you can't control me anymore is when you'd be like, hey, you lied. Or at least I would have. I would have never let that. If I saw that, if I like put those pieces together, I would have been like at dinner. I would have like put my glasses and like, so what is the truth? What is the truth? Also, I just find it ridiculous that, um, Clearly, they took Kate's car to the shop to get the window fixed. What self-respecting body shop would leave bits of glass on the car? And also, when she went to pick it up and open the driver's side door, it, it, like it, it would shake off. And also, she literally blows a hole through the roof of her car. And we just don't mention that, literally ever. It's not a... Hey, Aunt Kate, what's going on with the roof Listen, of your Teen car? Wolf doesn't think that hard. They should. They do not give us any reason to believe that they ever will, though. That's true. I have a thing about plot holes where, like, I generally ignore them. Unless they're, mm-hmm. like, so gaping. Which is why we, I think, is easy for me to watch Teen Wolf. Because I'm just like, eh, I'll just forget about that detail <laughs> that would actually affect this other detail. Yeah. 
But it would just add to Allison's mounting suspicion. Yeah. Um, but I think by the end of it, she is no longer in as much denial. I think that is the, the kind of path, the journey that all of our characters kind of take. Yeah. Um, and I think also, in a way, Derek, you know, breaking down and showing um, Scott Peter's, like, burned body is basically a way of him no longer being able to deny, like, that he needs to deny his past mm-hmm. and also deny that he, you know, doesn't need Scott to be, like, aware of what is happening or, like, be in the loop of how dangerous his situation now is. Yeah. Derek is really vulnerable in this episode. And I find it really interesting. It really hammers home the fact that he doesn't have anyone because his first instinct is to go to the high school to find Scott. And, like, I mean, I know that his whole family died in a fire, but he doesn't have any friends. Like, Laura was, you know, the only one. And it really shows how vulnerable he is because he doesn't have anyone to turn to. And, like... He's really trusting Scott and Styles, even though he doesn't have good reason to. Like, they are very, un- like, they don't trust him. He doesn't trust them. Like, he is put in such a vulnerable spot in mm-hmm. this episode. I also think this episode is very important in creating audience sympathy for Derek. Because mm-hmm. up until then, we, I mean, we feel horrible that his sister is was cut in half. Yeah. But we have no, like, reason to see him as anything other than just kind of, like, a big bag of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is an asshole. Yeah. But, I mean, he, I mean, he's still not very nice in this episode, but he has to admit to a weakness that he would have never admitted in the previous ones. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to be considered. I also think, in a way, we are now in a position where Styles can no longer deny that Derek is going to be, like, a part of their life. And he's interested in Derek in kind of, like, an obsessive way. Oh, he totally is. Um, a non-romantic way, we I would like to add. To We're going to get there. Um, but all of a sudden now he, you know, the whole kind of, their bits in this episode are by far the most entertaining part where Styles mm-hmm. is basically trying to get Derek to leave him alone. Um, but also can't. And that is, I think, Styles realizing that he also plays a, now a, a bigger role in this world, just by the fact of knowing that the werewolves exist. Yeah, I also think that Styles Styles wants to be the person that Scott comes to for everything, um, because he just loves Scott that much. And he wants to be the person who's needed, and so the idea that, like, Derek is going to play this huge role in Scott figuring out who he now is as a person is probably, like, really upsetting for Styles, and he was in denial about it, um beforehand and I also think um an interesting uh bit of denial that really carries through to the second season um is with Chris Argent with the fact that he clearly can tell that Kate has done some bad things that don't adhere to the code he has to be well aware of like the rest of his family and whether or not they're respecting that code. Um, and he doesn't call her out on it. He mentions the code and he basically tells her that that's what they're going to, that's how they're going to approach this situation. But when she pretty clearly 
is saying one thing and means a completely different thing, which is so obvious. He doesn't challenge her on it. No. She basically gives him the finger by lighting that gas fireplace. She really does, which is just wildly dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, Those, like, long, rich people matches. Yeah. Let's well, let's let's get into the Argents a little bit more, because I specifically want to talk about Chris's monologue he gives oh, yeah. Scott at dinner. So... In the monologue, he describes what happens when a dog goes rabid, Mm -hmm. and it is deeply disturbing, and I actually think very well delivered by J.R. Bourne. Yeah. Um, And he basically tells Scott in a really kind of weird way that he's like, because we know by, from um, episode two, that he's suspicious of Scott already. Yeah. He kind of tells Scott that he's onto him, and Scott Mm -hmm. can still sit there and be like, um... I think I'm okay here, you know? It's literally the picture of the dog at a table and everything around is, is on fire. And he's like, this is fine. Yes, That's Scott. Yes. <laughs> That's Scott. Yeah, that was the thing that I wrote down when I was watching that speech. It's like, how much does he suspect Scott? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's he going to do about it? Because yeah. that, the speech leaves it kind of ambiguous. Like... I mean, I'm I'm sure that the implication is if you become a rabid dog, if you run around and start killing humans, we will come after you. Um, but do you know what the most disturbing part of that speech is when he's talking about the fact that the dog will rear up and break its own spine? Like, mm-hmm. <sighs> horrifying. Oh, it's deeply unsettling. Um, but it's such an interesting metaphor. Yeah. Um, because it kind of implies that, like, all werewolves will become that level of unhinged. Which is maybe why Scott sits there and thinks, because these people see, like, the evil I don't want to see in myself, Yeah, they could help me away from it. Which, I mean, is, you know, optimistic and sad of Scott to think that. Which is, yeah. you know. He really really wants to be liked by this family. And I think it's a thing where, you know, if you have a single parent or if you have parents who are kind of like negligent, you're always kind of looking to join a different family unit. And I think that Scott likes Allison so much that he really wants to be accepted into her family unit. Um, So I think that helps with his denial. And I also want to talk a little bit about Kate's role in this episode in regards to Scott's kind of fitting in with this family, because I think Kate both makes him nervous, but she's also very interested in his life and like who he is to Allison. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a, a little bit of like, you know, trying to prove yourself, but she's also very flirtatious with him, which is weird to me. Um, but I just want to, I want to know what you kind of think about, about her. And Scott's kind of repartee in this episode. I think they establish her character very well so that as the season goes on and you find out her relationship with Derek and you find out her relationship to the rest of his family, it doesn't come as much of a shock. Like she's coded to be evil from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, she's kind of, it kind of makes me think that she also suspects Scott just in the way that she's, like, really trying to get to know him, and less so in the cool, fun aunt way, but more in, like, a this is my baby sister, what are you doing kind of a way. Um, I don't know. But also in a way that, like, 
condescends to him as well. Not so much yeah. a threat where she's like telling him he's got like, you know, cute brown eyes or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that was so weird. So weird. So, so bizarre. Um, yeah. And she's just, what I find really interesting about this is usually when a character is coded from the jump to be that evil, there's something about them that we don't suspect and they turn out not being as evil as we thought they were or something. It's kind of like a red herring to throw into the show. But in Kate's instance, it's really not. Like, she is a terrible person Mm -hmm. and really messes with everyone on the show in a way that destroys lives. Yeah. Um, And you get that from the jump. You do. She... It, you know, first of all, she puts in that scary, terrible bullet to shoot at someone she doesn't know. Um, and she pushes Allison away when Allison is trying to go through her bag. She accuses Scott of taking something from her bag, which, of course, he did. But, like, I remember watching that scene for the first time and being, oh, my God, my heart was in my throat. I was so anxious because she really straddles the line between, like, sweet and understanding and I will rip your throat out with my knife not my teeth but my knife we'll get to the teeth thing yeah but I also think what's interesting and this is what I've always thought is I wouldn't notice if my bag was unzipped or zipped yeah and obviously I'm a far more trusting person like I just kind of like I don't like walk through life with my head in the sand but I assume good in people yeah um and she is someone who is so like dominated by her obsession with like control in her space that she would accost Scott you know and also it's crazy that she assumes he took something I would probably just be like okay a 16 year old boy wanted to look at my underwear yeah gross that's gross to do but that's probably how I'd react yeah but also knowing like what she has in her bag that might have been what the suspicion Mm -hmm. came from true um yeah yeah. I also do want to make a note of their dinner conversation. And I'm not going to talk very long about this, but somebody on Teen Wolf needed to either make a different sport to describe or, like, look up the rules of hockey. Because Kate asks Scott if you can slap check in lacrosse like you do in hockey. And what she should have asked is, can you body check or can you check? And then Scott's answer would have been, only stick checks or only hand checks or like in hockey when you you know run into somebody full force with your body that's a body check it's not a slap check I think that was getting confused with a slap shot which is when a hockey player puts their stick on the ice bends it and then the flex of the stick swinging back is what hits the puck um but I was like somebody google that it just sounded like nobody knew what they were talking about uh, so any TV writers who might be listening to this, if you want someone to consult on your show about hockey, Christian is offering. I do like hockey, but that is also like casual people who like watch hockey would be like, uh, to the point where you don't watch hockey and you were like, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I did have a question. And also because once again, my mom played and coached lacrosse and I've never heard it explained that way. Like I've never, my vague vague understanding of lacrosse no one's ever compared it to hockey and so I'm just kind of like what does that mean I also it's only comparable to hockey in the fact that lacrosse is Canada's other national sport it's also pretty violent yeah um but also I really enjoyed Chris's very sharp 
hockey on grass is called field hockey comment. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, you know how we, we got a little bit in odds about like what Chris's Hogwarts house is? I really think he's a Ravenclaw. I think he's more often than not the smartest person in the room. He's just, you know, morally dubious. But nothing in the laws of being a Ravenclaw says you have to be a good person. Well, that's true. I don't agree with you, but you make a point. You make a good point. Thanks. So I think it's time we discuss yeah. the Styles and Derek plotline. So famously, if anybody was on Tumblr in 2012, as I was. Or even now. Or even now, which is wild because I, I don't know. Famously, Teen Wolf became popular because, on the internet at least, because of the shipping of Styles and Derek. And the initial instance of this kind of, you know, obsession with this relationship comes from this episode. And I would just like to say that even in the Amazon description, like at the bottom of the episode thing for this episode, says, calls Styles like a reluctant help to Derek. Yeah. Derek spends the whole episode threatening them. I think they have a really funny part of this episode. It's, like I said earlier, it's definitely the most entertaining part of this episode is watching them interact and try to deal with like the fact that Styles can't abandon him because he's dying, but also does not like him. Like it's an, it's a, it's a, a com- comment on your obligations to people you don't necessarily like want to be around. Yeah. But there's never any part of it where I was like, they're in love. Literally never, ever, ever. And we were talking about this the other day where I think pretty much the only person that Derek actually loves on this show, besides like whatever familial love he has for Peter, um, the only person that I think he loves on this show is Scott. Like, Derek doesn't like Scott, and Scott doesn't like Derek, but they love each other and they would do anything for each other. Like, I don't think that Derek even really likes Styles. Yeah. Well, Derek does, I mean, that's obviously, like, fraternal love. Yeah. But, like, Derek, you know, he does fall in love with, um... The teacher. Yeah, I mean, I mean more in the sense of like you and I love each other. And yes, like that kind of friendship, familial, like fraternal. Yeah, love. Derek doesn't even yeah. have that for Styles, so mm-hmm. I don't know where people jump to the yeah. romantic interest. And I, I know that there's a couple episodes in season one and two where Styles and Derek spend a big part of the episode together because Scott is off being heroic somewhere, or in this case, just like fucking around at the artist's house um but it it's notably the the pool episode in season two um but you know what you know what steric is though steric is just overflow destiel feelings like we can't have destiel and we must project that onto a different show show. literally like destiel has corrupted and ruined a lot of things um and i really just think that this is like overflow destiel shipping (laughs) I also think, like, it's, I mean, I agree with your point on, like, Destiel, which, Supernatural fans, I mean, like, I appreciate your commitment, but please calm down. I just, I think that in regards to Teen Wolf, because so much of the interest in Teen Wolf was born on the internet from, like, the three people who are watching it and gifting it and putting it on Twitter and Tumblr and stuff, that created the kind of fan culture that got people interested in the show. Mm-hmm. Um... So I remember before I had ever seen Teen Wolf, no, 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 I remember before I was really seeing it on Tumblr, uh, the first things I started seeing were Styles and Derek, which I didn't understand while I was watching the show, and 
per my friend Carolyn, and I think this is how a lot of feel, um, Carolyn is at Carol Z's on Twitter if anybody wants to follow her. She's great. That's true. She's she's wonderful. She says, I watched Teen Wolf because of the Steric stuff that was all over my Tumblr dash. This was maybe mid-late season one. Imagine my surprise when I watched it and Steric had literally no basis in anything that was actually happening on the show. See, here's the thing is like my family gets really annoyed when they try to talk to me about television because inevitably, no matter what we're watching, I will sit there and be like, that character's gay. And they're like, well, Julia, why do you have to make everything gay? And I'm like, well, because a lot of times... It is gay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, uh, I'm sure some of you people out there watch Once Upon a Time. I will never, ever shut up about Emma Swan and Regina because that just makes total sense to me, plot-wise, chemistry-wise. Like, it is there, even though it is not explicitly written into the show. And I could talk about, you know, other ships that make total sense based on, like, the actors' chemistry together. And I think that Tyler Hecklin and Dylan O'Brien really like each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be part of it, but just, I don't understand Steric. I was not watching this in real time the first time I saw it, so I wasn't, like, following blogs on Tumblr so that I could stay updated, you know? So I never, I did not even know that was a thing until we were talking about it and you told me. Yeah, I also think... Steric was, like, a creation of the fandom that if you weren't participating in the part of fandom that created that ship... So, like, I never read fan fiction. I was never, like, a fan art kind of girl or whatever, which I appreciate. And if that's how you engage with your television, Mm -hmm. that's totally cool. But because I was not sitting there, you know, reading full novels about the love story that somebody has projected onto Styles and Derek, I was always just like, huh? where are you guys getting this? Where are these feelings coming from or whatever? And there are other, you know, for the most part, and I think you kind of agree with me, I kind of ship all the canon ships in Team Wolf. Yeah. There's even weird stuff where like when Scott and Malia got together, I was like, you know what? Yeah. This might as well happen. It just might as well happen. I think the one thing that I, I shipped, but only because I thought briefly that it was going to happen was that they were going to let Isaac be gay and be in love with Mm. Scott. Because that was weirdly baited. And it yeah. was in part due to trying to describe how, like, Isaac had accepted Scott his, at his, at, like, as his alpha. But there was a lot of, like, hand-holding and, like, longing gazes. So oh, I was like, we'll hey. Be, we'll be posting the gifts. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there are very few shifts on this show where I'm just like, no. The one that... I really wanted to happen, but also, like, intellectually didn't really want to happen was um, Parrish and Lydia because... Age gap. Because of the age gap. Even though in real life those actors don't really have that much of an age gap, but, like, if we're implying that she's a teenager in high school and he's, like, an actual human man, adult man. Um, But for the most part, yeah, I think that all of the ships are really well thought out Mm -hmm. and interesting um, and... And the way we arrive at some of them are really... I mean, like, I think the Styles and Lydia story is the oh, it's backbone so of Teen Wolf. It's, it's so good. You need to see them get together, and you understand why they don't for a while. And when they do, it's all the more rewarding. Like, I think that that was really well executed. And that was it, it put in with the intention of the writers for us to always kind of be a little bit thinking about. From the very first episode that Styles is just so desperately in love with her. It's earned. It's totally earned. And when you have a character who's that desperately in love with another character on the show and you see it forming, I always think it's a little strange where somebody's like, takes the detour of being like Styles and Derek. And again, their repartee in this episode is 
very funny. Like when Derek shows him the bullet hole and Styles is like, actually just get out of my car. <laughs> like I truly laughed. But Derek also spends the majority of this episode threatening him in various ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it just, I don't know. It kind of bothers me. And not to say that like, if that's your thing, fine. Okay. I just don't see it. I don't see it. I've never seen it. I never saw it. Um, they're just, they're not nice to each other. No. Ever. No. And I understand that that's like a trope, but also, I just... You're... I think generally the trope is like one sunshiny person and like one rain cloud, but you just have two rain clouds. Yeah. And one of them is very smart and the other one is very dumb. Like, that's just the... Yeah. That's that. Yeah. And it's, it, we're obviously not going to spend any, you know, explicit time talking about Sarah probably ever again until maybe that episode in season two, which I think was what sealed the deal for a lot of people when yeah. they're trapped in the pool and Styles has to tread water for I don't know how long. Yeah. Um, but, but that, again, is not an act of, like, love. It is like, I have an obligation as a human person to mm-hmm. save this other person, which speaks very highly of Styles, but doesn't really speak a lot to their relationship. Yeah, I also think that if it were a situation where, like, there was nothing Styles could do to save Derek, or if saving Derek required, like, a huge sacrifice, I think that Styles would be okay letting Derek die. I don't absolutely know if I think that. At this point, yes. I think, I think, I mean, it does take a lot for Styles to say, okay, I'll cut your arm off. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, not in, like, a I wish he was dead kind of way, but I think that he would have, I think that Styles. I don't think Styles would trade his life. Yeah. No. Where there are characters in the show who do, like, Allison eventually trades mm-hmm. her life for yeah. Scott. Yeah. I don't think Styles would ever do that for no. Derek. No. Um, and I don't think Derek would do it for anybody, including Scott. That's real true. Yeah. Because Derek is a Slytherin through and through. Yes. I also do, uh, while we're talking about this, let's get back on the subject of denial and talk mm-hmm. about how it affects Styles and Derek in this episode, because we haven't really touched on that. So what do you think? Um, I mean... I don't know. I I would like to hear kind of what you are feeling about that because I was really fixated on the denial in in kind of other parts of the episode. I think you notice it less with Derek who I think until the end Um, but with Styles, he spends the whole episode kind of like being very blasé about the situation at hand where he's just kind of like, okay Derek, you go die now because I don't think Styles really until the end when he realizes he might have to cut Derek's arm off, processes the fact that Derek is actually dying. Yeah. Because up until now, we've had one, two two deaths in the show, but this is the first one that's any kind of personal to anybody, mm-hmm. if it were to come to fruition, which it doesn't, obviously. So Styles doesn't want to think about the fact that he might watch someone die. That someone might die in his passenger seat of his car, and he was no way of explaining it to anybody or even really of any way of helping. So mm-hmm. it is such like an out of sight, out of mind thing. So he tells Derek to get out of the car. It's like, a, I can't be the one to watch you die. And then when he sees Derek's like body basically flooding with poison yeah, in the vet's office, he says, you know what? I think you're fine. I think you're going to be okay. You know? And it's obviously a bit, but it also is a little bit like he is now so faced with the fact that he 
is going to have to cut somebody's arm off and, like, do something that will deeply traumatize him, as he mentions, in kind of a, you know, silly way, but, like, Mm -hmm. he doesn't, you know, he pushes that thought away. Which I think is so interesting, especially given literally the way that we're introduced to Styles is he wants to go find a dead body. Mm-hmm. He's clearly super interested in what his dad does as a job, which often involves people who are like really, you know, in pain or who are maimed in some way. Like, you know, and that seems to be a real interest of his, but he also has this huge aversion to it. Like mm-hmm. it, it, that he doesn't want that to be part of his reality. Yeah. Um, as Derek says, you faint at the sight of blood. And he says, no, I might faint at the sight of me cutting your arm off though. Yeah. I also think, Stylus does not want to think that Scott might not be able to get him out of the situation. Yeah. Not in like a, he needs a, a saving way. I just think that that is the nature of their relationship where in any bind they get in, they can always depend on the other. And as Scott is so unreliable in this episode, really, like, I know Scott's trying to be polite. You can leave if there's an emergency. There is no social rule telling you you have to stay at somebody's house for dessert if your mom calls or whatever, yeah. you know? Well, what, one of the notes that I wrote down was, like, I cannot believe that Scott ignores Styles' phone calls. Given everything that they've gone through in these first three episodes, and given the fact that he knows that Derek is, like, dying, why does he turn off his phone? Why does he think that it's somehow, like, nonsense that Styles is calling him? It just seems so wackadoo to me. Yeah. And I I know that, like, Scott is, like, you know, has this feeling that, like, because both Styles and Lydia, um, Lydia Martin's sex positivity queen, kind of push Allison and Scott into thinking, like, you know, this might be, like, a, I don't know if they necessarily think they're going to have sex, but, like, this is going to be your first time alone together in a house alone together in a room with a bed. Like, mm-hmm. I think style I think Scott is, like, excited by that fact, obviously, as, you know, you would be and were or whatever. Yeah. But not to the point where he would ignore someone's like fatal illness. But again, and the question, stop chewing ice. I'm not chewing ice. I'm taking a drink. Um, I think that also loops back into Scott's sense of denial is that he Mm -hmm. doesn't want to think that Derek is dying. He doesn't want to think about what Styles is going through in this situation. He doesn't really want to think about what, what Derek is doing. Yeah. What 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 how Derek is feeling, you know? And that's such a part of growing up. Like, I remember when I this was like my first week of my freshman year of high school, my dad was like, you know, you're really gonna have to start being there for your friends in a way that you never had to be there for them before and I had no idea what he was talking about until my sophomore year when my best friend's dad died and like when you when you commit to be friends with someone you commit to like taking on that responsibility and you know when you're a kid you don't have to do that but as you become an adult and Scott is becoming more and more of an adult as the show goes on and taking on these responsibilities that he doesn't want and the best way to avoid them is to be in denial about it. Yeah, it's a little bit like, I don't want to grow up. Mm-hmm. Which. Fair. I mean, yeah. No, fair. And I think that that, that is the, Scott's biggest coming of age is not. Scott goes from denying responsibility to seeking out responsibilities to take on. And that's his major character arc. Is yeah. that, you know, even not even just becoming the true alpha when he kind of. At the, you know, in the final season of the show, they set up basically a team that's going to go out and save the world. He is he is a very reluctant hero who turns into a Captain America type. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
But it's growing pains. Yeah. This first season. It is. Um, I think we're probably ready to switch to our Q's and O's, our questions and observations. Okay. So do you have any questions you want to ask? I have a really um, dumb question. Okay. I love a dumb question. I'll probably have a dumb answer. Do we think that Lydia has her own car? I was very stuck on the scene where, like... They're all in the parking lot? Listen, how many people in your friend group in high school had a car? It's like Um, one, right? Literally one my senior year. And also, this is, like, because of where I grew up. Like, my sister's high school, their parking lot for those dudes is massive. But where I went to high school, like, I want to say maybe a hundred people out of my school Mm -hmm. had a car and drove it to school like watching them all try to get out of the parking lot and there's just a bunch of cars and there's only one way out I was just like what is happening yeah and because Lydia's always shown riding around in Jackson's car so I really wonder if she has her own she has her own car later car later yeah I just literally couldn't remember yeah she has her own car later I just in my high school there was like a separate lot for the seniors that you like applied to have a spot in yeah but then there was also like a general lot like there was enough but certainly not enough for every student at all and again like you were lucky if two people in your friend group had a car yeah normally it was just the person and if one person had a big car they were picking up every person on the way to the function yeah also they all drive really nice cars with the exception of styles but his car is like cool yeah it's cool old yeah yeah it's very strange the other question that I have, and this is something I think you brought up in the, um, like, recap of what happens in the episode, is that when the Alpha howls, we think it's the Alpha. It could be Derek in response to getting shot. I'm not 100% sure. Oh, I have another question. Dang it. Um, you can ask more than me, too. Yeah, um, There's no limit. Yeah. But I was just, I the thing that I wrote down was, like, is the wolf howl, does Scott just automatically respond to that no matter who it is? Or is it because it was the alpha? I think it was because it was the alpha. Okay. Yeah, I just have a lot of questions about that. Whole There's a howling scene. arc later. Yeah. Well, like... I was... Mostly, I was... I had a question about that scene, too, a la your question. Mm-hmm. But it was less about what the howl did, but he never told Derek how he knew any of this stuff. Yeah. No, never told... That is never revealed. I also, this is a, I don't know why I thought this, but I'm really wondering if Kate knew before Chris told her that she shot Derek. Um, I think she did. I think, I think, I thought she did. I think she would have anyway. Kate had a very intimate relationship with Derek, as we know. Yeah, she did. And I know that it was like dark, but also I think she was capable of seeing that there was one who came after her and then another one Mm -hmm. and she shot the other one yeah I feel like Kate already knew because when Chris in the end of the episode is like oh that other one is Derek Hill she's like oh are we sure like as if there are other werewolves in Beacon Hills yeah but that might be another thing that she's keeping from Chris because she their relationship is such that like it's a little bit like don't ask, don't tell. Like he knows that it's she's done mess. She's up done things. mess of stuff. But as long as he, as long as he can deny it, yeah, read the theme. He can still, <laughs> yeah, can still consider continue with his relationship in that way with her. Yeah, that that was just my my big question was like, does she know mm-hmm. that it was Derek that she shot? Interesting. 
If you have opinions on that, Wolfpack, let us know. Yeah. Do you have any? Did you? Was that your third question? That was my third question. Okay. Yes. Um. Well, I already asked my question, and that was about the thing. I only had the one question. Oh. So, if you want to go to your observations. Yeah, I have a couple. Um, one, there was just an unopened bottle of wine on the dinner table the whole time. Just an unopened bottle of wine in front it's, of me. It's the mise-en-scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like, all right, this is great. And, um, all right, this is... When Scott goes in and, like, finds the box that the Wolfsbane is in and translate it, translates it on his phone in Latin, I understand that the whole point of that scene was... It's in French. Is it in French? Yes. Oh, okay. Anyway, point is, um, I know that it was important to find out what kind of Wolfsbane it was, but I also was kind of surprised that the box didn't have something like all men must die on it or something super cryptic. Yeah. I was like, that's such a strange thing. It's also like he Googles it and then like tells Derek what it is. And then Derek's like, oh, it's a rare form of form of Wolfsbane. I need the bullet. Like I would have just brought the bullet anyway. Oh, I literally don't understand how that works. I, that makes absolutely no sense to me. And I'm willing. Like what happens? Yeah. Well, it's like the same premise of an anti-venom. And I actually took that and my notes like all anti-venoms are made from a basically like a way of like breaking apart a venom yeah no I do know that but it basically just seemed to me that he just put the wolfbane on the wolfbane like I I mean there's I mean we don't know what the magical powers of lighting it on fire are it might release like it's that's yeah I also think it's funny that Derek keeps the lighter in his pocket why? Does he smoke? We don't know. That's another question for another day. Because he's edgy. He, he wears a leather jacket. You, if you wear a leather jacket, you're legally, legally blinded required. to carry a lighter. Um, was, that your only, was that your last Oh, no, 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 no. I wrote down a very important observation okay. on this page. Um, first of all, this is the first appearance of my sweet, psychotic baby, sweetie honey, Peter. Love him so much. We I will never agree on Peter. I fucking love Peter. He's the best. But anyway... What I think is so interesting about the end of this episode is when Scott drops the bullet and it rolls away into that little grate or sewer or whatever, and he manages to control his claws because it's going to save Derek's life. Oh. Like that, I watched that and I was like, he, he learned how to do that or he, something instinctually about him was like, if I, if I can't do this right now, Derek's going to die. Mm-hmm. And that is what ends up saving him. Like, yes, Scott did all of this and brought the bullet, but ultimately it's because he learned how to, like, control um, his claws, which I was just like, oh, so touching. That is deeply touching. Yeah. All right, what are your, what are your observations? Um, my one observation is that, and we have talked about this, there is no logical explanation for the transition between night and day nope. in Teen Wolf. How long were Scott and Derek, I mean, were Styles and Derek chilling in the car on the side of the road? Oh, Were they hanging out? Were they shooting the shit? Were they talking about, you know? I have no idea. The but Lakers? Like, what drives me nuts about the car, though, is he's clearly driving the car, and then when it's inside, it's green screen. I'm like, what is happening here? Anyway. Yes. But, like, they, all of a sudden, like, the last we hear from Scott... And Derek and Styles is like Scott sitting down to dinner, and then all of a sudden it's dark. And like I get it's winter, so like it's getting dark fast. But like it, it makes no sense. The time from three p.m., which is when we know Styles 
scooped Derek. And then it's like midnight by the time they get to the veterinary clinic. I'm like, is his Jeep just full of blood? Probably. Yeah. No, no accurate time um, transfers in this, this, uh, in this episode. And then my last observation was just about the monologue that, that, that Chris gives. It's so well delivered. It is so well delivered. It is. And I just think that it is like, I almost think it's overkill, you know, but it's also like the episode would not be the same without it. And I wanted to bring it up because I want to talk about how it also, I think reflects the scene that we saw where Derek gets his windows busted open. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's something about Chris's character and maybe J.R. Bourne that brings something to the show that is other than Teen Wolf. Yeah, he's kind of on a different show, but I don't hate it. Because his whole thing is, like, hunting werewolves. And this is a teen show. Like, that's very different from what's happening. So I, I don't know if that's, like, a very conscious choice on his part. But I do think it's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we get to our pack stats? Pack stats. Let's do it. All right. So how many glowing eyes do we have this week, Julia? We have three glowing eyes. Um... And one of them, in one of the instances is that Derek's eyes keep kind of shorting out because of the wolfsbane, which is an interesting um, tidbit. We saw that in a previous episode when Scott has the wolfsbane rope. So cool consistency there. How many claws? Um, I have three claws. As do I. Have you ever seen that meme that's like the handshake meme, but it's like, has eight white claws and sleeps in a tree, <laughs> me in a sloth? Uh, no, but I love that. Yeah. Um, we had one shirtless moment, which is finally Derek. Finally Derek. Showing off the sexy tattoo. Really did not need to take his shirt off because the bullet was just like in his forearm and he was wearing a t-shirt, but. Well, he did for, I think he did for the chopping it. He was chopping pretty high. Yeah, I guess. The t-shirt was ruined anyway. They should have chopped it and gave Derek a robot arm. Robot arm. (laughs) What? Um, No, if you can't. Is this the, is this the vine that's like. Ah, Mr. Barnes. No, no. There's this episode of New Girl where Jess is bullied by a student in her class and she makes her sing um, a song called My Robot Arm with her. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Um, And the ads for this week. We see Chris Argent's uh, Chevy truck. And then um, Scott has a Blackberry, which feels very sophisticated for uh, Scott McCall, but he's got one. Um, my sister had a Blackberry and at this era when Blackberries existed. And did you know that they have their own separate, like, texting system for only other Blackberries? No, I did know that because my grandmother, before she really fell behind the times, was, like, on top of technology. And she had a Blackberry before anyone else in my phone, my family, like, had a cell phone. Oh. My grandma is a trip. Anyway. Interesting. Um, I think that about wraps it up. For this episode. Alpha of the week, man. Oh my gosh! I forgot, and I was really excited <laughs> to talk about my alpha of the week. Who's your alpha of the week? It is, without a doubt, Styles. Oh, okay. Good. He, I mean, like, again, it is reluctant that he helps Derek, but he also goes through so much shit mm-hmm. for this episode to work, and, like, is at basically the mercy of Scott's negligence in this <laughs> 
instance of like taking care of Derek and like Derek I obviously feel for because he's deeply suffering in like vomiting black blood or whatever but like Styles Styles has to take on like an enterprise he had no intention of and really only had the only reason he ended up with Derek is because they needed to get him out of the parking lot it was Mm. so you know he ended up being like, I'll drive you out of here, and then ended up being like, I'll say, I'll cut your arm off. And Styles raising that blade to to Derek's arm is deeply heroic. It is heroic. Um, counterpoint. Yes. My alpha of the week is Allison Argent. Why? Um, because I because she was willing to hold up a condom in front of her dad. Hundred percent. Can't believe we didn't talk about that. It was a really great moment, and also like she doesn't know how much she is saving Scott in that moment. Like she just thinks that it's kind of an embarrassing moment for her, and you know it's one of those like fine, fine, fine. I'll fess up, but like if Scott had really, if Kate had really taken Scott to task over that and like found out what he took, that would have blown up so hugely and so the fact that Allison like mans up and like pulls the condom out of her pocket in front of her father uh and was like this is why I was going through your bags a plus she also does her absolute best to defend Scott at the dinner table when Mm -hmm. everyone else is really ganging up on him um you know instead of just kind of staying silent and letting it happen um she has a lot more to do later on. And so it's kind of frustrating to sit through these episodes and be like, oh, Allison, I know you're capable of so much. But this really is like indicative of what she's willing to put on the line for Scott. I agree. Yeah. I think that was a good choice. You're also, right. minor alpha of the week shout out does go to Lydia, who it, it was her <laughs> recommendation that Allison practice safe sex. Sex positive icon, Lydia Martin. <laughs> yeah. But also this this episode like in regards to its conversations about sex is very progressive like there was an instant of like a a conversation of consent between scott and allison which was Mm -hmm. kind of cool because that never happens in teen television so yeah um thanks lydia for facilitating that and yeah shout out i just also always want to thank lydia because she's great she's so great we love her we do we also love you guys. Um, we'd appreciate it if you would review us on iTunes, as we incessantly mention. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf. That is also our Instagram handle. And from our bios on there, you can go and follow our personal Twitters and Instagrams, if you so choose. Um, we thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you next. Hear you? Listen. Speak to you. Yep, that one. Speak to you <laughs> next week. Bye. Bye.